Okay. Try, oh, there we go. That's it's like the voice of heaven. Um, <laughs> good morning. Um, I'm increasing my Tasmanian vocabulary. So I've, we've done mainlander. Yeah, no, that's the word you're not allowed to use. That's what you are if you, people come from Rudy Island. Um, I've done a heat pump. That's right. I've learned about a Tasmanian tuxedo. And this is an expression that Tasmanians, I've noticed at Christ College, only Tasmanians do this. And if you're thinking of joining a, group, a growth group or a Bible study group, I, I hear this all the time from even northern Tasmanians say this. If, if, if talking about doing something and they just go, do it, do it. So it, it's a Tasmanian dialect. So is anyone here thinking about joining a growth group? Do it. Okay, that's it. So... Um, Thank you for increasing my vocab. I'll look forward to what I learned today. Uh, for those of you who joined us today, uh, it's good to see you here. We've been looking at the fear of the Lord and how the fear of the Lord motivates us to worship and how the fear of the Lord motivates us to evangelism. And today I want to look at what is probably the most famous passage in Scripture about the fear of the Lord. If I say to you the fear of the Lord is... Exactly, the beginning of wisdom. So he, was, uh, he grew up in Campbelltown. He didn't know whether he came from North or South Tasmania. And he actually didn't grow up in Campbelltown. He grew up near Campbelltown. And he enjoyed being on the farm. And he wanted to study to be a vet. Problem is, I'm told by reliable sources that you can't do veterinary science at the University of Tasmania. So he had to go... Sydney to do that. So he was leaving the farm and uh, he grew up in a Christian family and dad said to him this as he left the farm. He pointed him to Proverbs chapter 10 verse 1. Now I hope you've got Proverbs 9 open so it's not very hard to find the next verse. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 1 and he quoted this to his son as he left home. He said, a wise son makes a glad father but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Well, he hopped on the plane, flew up to Sydney, and he moved into his accommodation in Sydney, in Australia's oldest and most prestigious university, after which the whole city of Sydney is named. And he... Uh, and like most country kids moving to to a big city, he was both excited and daunted by leaving home at 18 and moving to the city. So he, he went out for a walk. It was a strange sensation that he had never felt in Campbelltown before. It was night time. The city was crowded and vibrant. There were probably more people out at night time than during the day. But for the first time in his life, he felt anonymous. Everybody in Campbelltown knew him. In fact, everybody in Tasmania knew him. <laughs> but here was a strange feeling. He was surrounded by people everywhere, and yet he was alone. And for the first time in his life, he could do whatever he wanted, and nobody would know about it. Well, he was walking down the street... And a woman spoke to him. He 
looked at her and she was kind of the woman that, for some reason, he knew she wasn't the sort of woman that he would take home to the farm to meet mum and dad. She was heavily made up. Her skirt was particularly short. And she was standing in the door of a house that was illuminated with a, a red light over the top of the house. And she said to him, are you looking for a good time? There was something very attractive about her. She invited him to come inside. He was young. He was naive. He was in the big city for the first time. He walked on. But, but as he walked on, he could feel her eyes following him. And he turned back towards her and he could feel the lure of her pulling him back, inviting him in, but he kept walking. As he kept walking through the city with this sort of feeling of anonymity, uh, he met another woman. She was certainly beautiful, but she was beautiful in a very different sort of way. She w didn't have that same sort of sexuality about her. She wasn't heavily made up. She was more of a classic beauty. Probably the sort of girl that he would take home to meet his parents. And she was outside of a Christian drop-in centre in the red light district of Sydney. And she too said, come in, come inside. He'd never been to the city before. He was confused. He was lonely. He was young. He was naive. And he thought about Dad's words back in Campbelltown when Dad said from Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. He, he'd been brought up through church and he, he thought of the words of Jesus of these two houses that he'd walked past and he remembered that a wise man builds his house upon the rock, but a foolish man builds his house upon the stone. That's the sand. That's the picture of Proverbs 9. It's an invitation from two women to come in and dine. Now, let me go through the structure of this passage uh, and then we'll go through and look at what is the wise decision and how the fear of the Lord uh, leads to wisdom. So, verse 18, uh, kept, uh, there's 18 verses in this chapter and 18 divided by 3 is? Well done. And so, this has got three points in this uh, chapter. And each point has got six verses, so it's, it's very neat. Verses 1 to 6 here describes the woman that I've called woman wisdom. Okay, the second woman he met. Jump down to the end, verses 13 to 18 describes another woman, and I've called her uh, Fräulein Folly. Okay, sorry for our German friends here. I've called her Fräulein Folly. So we have woman wisdom and we have Fräulein Folly and they actually make a sandwich, okay, because it's a German sandwich, what they call it a rice sandwich or something. But a sandwich, of course, is defined by what? It's filling. And so when we go back from verses 7 through to 12, the middle section, that is basically an understanding of wisdom. Woman wisdom, first six verses, Fräulein Folly, 
the last six verses, and an understanding of the fear of the Lord leading to wisdom is the filling of the sandwich. So let's go through them in that order, beginning, end, middle. Let's go firstly to woman wisdom, verses 1 to 6. Woman wisdom is there in verse 1, and she has a substantial house. Have a look there in verse 1. You'll see that the house has seven pillars. Now, that's a big house. How many pillars at the front of your house? It doesn't compare. And what she offers is priceless in its proportions. Please do not think that coming to Jesus is coming to a fly-by-night cult. Please do not think that being a Christian is on the fringes of society. She invites you to a substantial feast. Jesus tells us that those who come to him not only have life, but have life in all its fullness or its abundance. Look at what she says in verse 2. She slaughtered her beast... Now, this is a world without refrigeration. We used to live in a world without refrigeration in Vanuatu. When you killed a beast, you've got 24 to 48 hours to eat it. And so what do you do? You feast on it. It's a real feasting society. She slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. Now, we know in the ancient world that people used to mix other things in wine. It sounds purely horrible from where I sit, but you used to mix wines with honey, You can do that if you want to. I know some Middle Eastern people still mix wine with spices. And so she's already mixed her wine. It's it's ready to go. And she has set her table. It's a picture of opulence. It is a picture of generosity. It's a picture of hospitality. And she says, come in. Please do not think that a relationship with Jesus is entering into a monastery. God invites you to a sumptuous feast that is not miserly. Now, the way some Christians carry on, you would have thought that they were baptised in lemon juice. But basically, what she is inviting you here is something that is the abundance and the fullness and the riches of life. Please stop telling me all the stuff you've given up to be a Christian. I know that's part of it. You've been invited into a feast that's been prepared for you. And this is what she says. Look at verse 4. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Again and again and again in the Bible, the Christian life is likened to a feast. Jesus is always eating. People accused him of being a glutton at some points, if you read through the Scriptures in Matthew 11. When we come to the end, what's it going to be? It's the wedding banquet of the Lamb. Please stop whinging about the Christian life to me. She invites you in to her home of seven pillars, to her feast that she has prepared that you might enjoy it. Will you come? Well, there's Fraulein Folly as well. Let's go down to verse 13. She is also inviting people in. In fact, 
she has exactly the same invitation in verse 16. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. But she's loud and she's undisciplined. And so she sits at the door of her house with that same invitation as she hollers it to people who are passing by. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. But it's a little bit different because it's not a picture of a well-prepared feast. No, what she's got is stolen. She says this, whoever is simple, let him come in here, verse 17. Stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. It's kind of like the serpent to Eve, isn't it? You can eat of any tree in the garden except this one. There's something about it, isn't there? I remember, I've had a go at the Germans, I have a go at the French now, sorry, Elodie. But (laughs) I was in a lift in France once, this is true. I have no idea, I've only seen it once. And I've also seen it a bus in Malaysia, in case there's any Malaysians here who aren't seeing people. And it, it said in this lift in France that it was forbidden to spit inside the lift. Have you ever been in a lift and you wanted to spit in the lift? It was a really strange sign. But I tell you what, as soon as I saw the sign, I started to feel the saliva starting to build up within my mouth. And I also saw it in a bus in Malaysia once. It's, it's, you have seen it? Yeah, okay. Confirmed, okay. I'll tell you where it is. Okay. There's something about forbidden fruit, isn't there? There's something about the old story of the, the sign in the desert that says, do not throw rocks at this sign, and you know what the sign looks like. <laughs> you don't catch fish with a bare hook. And so here she is, but the words at the end of verse 18 should send chills up our spine. But he does not know that the dead are there, and her guests are in the depths so here we have two women one has prepared her feast one has stolen food and there's this young man from Campbelltown who's moved to the city and he is being lured by those two women those of you who are parents that's the future of your kids those of you who are in high school that's your future Those of you who are parents, please don't think it just applies to kids. She's luring, they're luring all the time. Let me make a couple of comparisons. The first one I've already made. Firstly, please look at verse 4 and verse 16. And please note that the words are absolutely identical. The invitation from both women are exactly the same. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. I want to say to you that folly always mimics wisdom. And we live in probably the most religious, anti-religious generation that has ever existed. I hope you can hear as the atheist lobby is shouting just how religious that they are. I hope you can hear the memory verses We've got slogans, they're memory verses and you've got to learn them and recite them. You know what they are? I could start with them. I could start with love is 
Oh, okay, someone's learned. Okay, there could be other memory verses. I hope you can hear the zeal. I hope you can hear the evangelistic passion. I hope you can hear that there is only one way to live. Folly always mimics wisdom. But both these women are calling out, and please note that Fräulein Folly is loud. She is shouting. Can you hear me? Over the top of all the other voices. Woman Wisdom is there. She is elegant. She is calling and prepared. Please note also that they're both being invited, inviting people to a party. But Woman Wisdom has prepared that banquet at her own expense. She's laid a table. She is involved with the killing of the beast. She's cooked it. She's worked at it. And she, in her generosity and graciousness, is asking you to come and join in the feast. But Fräulein Folly is dealing with stolen goods. She lives at the expense of others. So although the food may look the same, it comes from very different sources. Please note in verses 3 and 14 that both women have their houses at the highest point of the city. Now we know from the ancient Near East that what do you put at the highest point of the city? The temple to the gods. These are incredibly religious invitations. It's an invitation into a house of worship. One is the worship that comes from generosity. Even in Jerusalem, if you've been to Jerusalem, when you go to Jerusalem, what stands right at the top of the mountain and dominates the whole city? Well, I know it's a mosque today, but it was the temple. It's not insignificant that they're at the top of hills. It's interesting that we no longer live in a postmodern society. We used to. It basically took me 10 years to work out what postmodernism is, and then we moved on from it. Um, I'm an evidentialist. If you're over 45, you're a modernist. You don't know what you are. If you're over 45, 50, you're a modernist. And, and a modernist, for us, if you can prove it from the evidence, it's true. So Josh McDowell, Evidence for the Resurrection, that was my sort of generation. If I could prove to you the resurrection was true, you'd say, okay, the evidence is there. I've got it's true. I'll become a Christian. Done. Okay? Okay, I got my head around that one. And then all of a sudden, we became postmodern. You've got your truth, I've got my truth, let's all sit down together. There's no such thing as truth, all truth is relative. Okay, we've just got a head around that one. Well, I'm sorry, if you've just got your head around that, we're past that. that that's passe now. If you're somewhere in your 20s and 30s, you, you probably are a postmodernist, you're probably trained that way. But I tell you what, that's not how our universities are running these days. Our universities are no longer tolerating different truth. But that which is perceived to be true is being hollered at us with the loudness of Fräulein Folly. And if you don't want to get on board, well, it's not your truth, it's my truth. You're a bigot. You're a fascist. You're a moron. I could keep going, but I'll stop there. <laughs> There's nothing postmodern about that. There's also nothing evidentialist about that either. 
It's Fraulein Folly. If you want to go to the University of Tasmania or the University of Sydney, it's being hollowed from the mountaintops. How are you going to be wise in that environment? And you don't have to go to university to hear it either. Well, Proverbs is all about wisdom and foolishness. So I thought I'd have a quick look at this point at foolishness in Proverbs and try and divide it into three categories of foolishness that people can be foolish as they hear this. And I've divided them into three categories and these are very scholarly categories, so I'm going to tell you what they are. The first category I've called the airhead, the second category I've called the hothead and the third category I've called the hardhead, okay, not scholarly at all. Airhead, okay, you're, if you're not a Christian, chances are you're one of these. You'll see these people around you. The airhead, the hothead, and the hardhead. Let's go through them. What's an airhead? An airhead's not somebody with a low IQ. It's not as though they're sort of echoing happening inside. It's, it's someone who just doesn't want to think about it. Couldn't care less. He, this is what Proverbs 14 verse 15 says. The simple believes everything but the prudent gives thoughts to his steps. I'll tell you what the airhead says. Oh, whatever. I don't care. Yeah, whatever. That's the first category. And have you ever met an airhead? <laughs> Absolutely. The second category, of which there are more and more these days, are the hotheads. They mock and they scorn and they will not be corrected. This is a great verse about the hotheads, okay? Uh, parents, remember this, church, this verse for your children if you're having a bad day. Uh, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 17. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7. 17. Uh, I'm not looking at you. <laughs> it's just, it's the hot, it won't listen to mum, won't listen to dad. The, the advantage of being a teenager is omniscience, it's wonderful and so basically, no, I'm a hothead, I'm not going to tell you about it, but I'm going to argue back. An airhead, whatever, a hothead or a hardhead. And a hard head just won't listen, speak to the hand, is what a hard head says. Proverbs 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So the airhead says, I don't know if there is a God, I don't know. Whatever. A hothead says, your God is trash, garbage. I could keep going. And a hard head says, there is no God, with unbelievable categorical truth. But they're all being invited into the house. And some of them don't realise that they're already in the house, without necessarily realising where it is. Because here's the problem with Fraulein Folly. As we get to the end of the chapter, we see that those who have gone into that house are in the depths of shale. Her house is a doorway to a morgue. Now, please don't think that that's a 
uh, a terminal scenario necessarily. Please don't think that God cannot rescue people from the morgue. Listen to what David wrote in Psalm 86. David went into the house of Fraulein Folly. Do you remember that? She was bathing on the roof. You remember the story? That's what David writes. He says of God, For great is your steadfast love towards me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. God delivers people from Sheol. That is the gospel. An adulterer like David is not beyond the grace of God. God's grace reaches down and reaches right into the home of Fraulein Folly where the airheads and the hotheads and the hardheads are feasting on her stolen food. That's because God actually came down and rescued someone who was in shale. His name was Jesus. Uh, he wasn't in shale, he wasn't in the grave because of his sin, but he certainly was there because of sin. And he was raised on the third day. And Paul tells us that he has become for us our righteousness, our sanctification and our redemption. Please don't think that the fact that someone you know, and I'm sure you all know someone, a child, a brother, a friend, a spouse, we all know people who are feasting in the house of Fraulein Folly. But it's not beyond repair. It's not beyond rescue. Because God has very long arms that reaches even into her house. So we've been given comparison between two different priests, two different women who are calling out to us daily to come and feast in their fine food or in their stolen fare that leads to life in all its abundance or that leads to shale and the grave. Well, let's go to the middle of the sandwich. Let's go to the centerpiece. And to the hotheads and to the hardheads, Solomon says this in verse 7, whoever corrects a scoffer, a scoffer is a hardhead, by the way, and a hothead, a hothead, sorry. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. Have you ever tried to correct a, a hothead? What'd you get? Abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. <laughs> Verse 8, don't, don't reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. The problem is you never know if someone's a wise man or a foolish man until you reprove him. But wh whether you get abuse or whether you get love, it shows wherever the Spirit has been working in that person's life. So you see, the cost of attaining wisdom is our pride. In our pride, in our self-made ambition of seeking to feast on stolen fare, in our hot-headed, logical, well-educated arguments against the existence of God, there's no point talking if the person's still lost in their pride. Humility needs to come first. And wisdom crushes pride. So we've moved in from the bread. We've moved into the sandwich, and this is how Hebrew poetry works, 
Let's now move into the very, very middle of the filling in the sandwich, which is the focus of the whole passage. And here it is in verse 10. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. What is wisdom? Wisdom is not IQ. You may have whatever number IQ, double figures, triple figures. People, I mean, come and work in a university. It's full of people who've got high IQs and just can't even find their way from one room to another. Uh, <laughs> knowledge is not always the same as wisdom. Wisdom is applied knowledge. Wisdom is knowing right decisions and applying the knowledge in right direction. And wisdom is knowing that which is true and applying it. Now, I know atheists, hopefully you do as well, and I know atheists who tell me that to be a Christian is intellectual suicide. That might be true if we're working from the right presuppositions. You see, if this world is an accident, and if everything in this world is random, then I guess it is intellectual suicide to be a theist. The problem is that it's really easy to be in the opposition, and even the term an atheist is a negative term. It's not a theist, but it's against a theist. So I'm not really interested in what people don't believe when I engage with atheists. I actually want to know what they do believe because they can easily pick holes in my argument. So, okay, let's do it. You, you, can, you can pick holes in my argument for 15 minutes and let's turn the tables. Tell me about the origin of all things. <laughs> Those of you who work in medicine, do you understand the human body? You don't understand a tenth of it. Do you understand the, how minute a cell is and how they mutate and how they are? I don't know. I did an arts degree. Do you understand the magnitude of space and, and the infinitude of the, of, of the stars? Do you know what? We're talking about climate change at the, at the moment. If, if the world changes by a couple of degrees, then, you know, it's all going to be terrible. Well, that's, you know, it's a, that's a big thing. We are so finely tuned to within a couple of degrees. Do you know how, away, how far away the sun is? Who sets the thermostat of the sun? You see... If the world is a series of accidents, then Christianity is intellectual suicide. But I can't be convinced of that. I'm sorry. I, I've got eyes. From general revelation, I can see that there is order. From general revelation, I can see that there is intelligent design. And you may not be able to see that, but is that because you're an airhead, a hothead, or a hardhead? Because really, if you really looked at it, and if you had a little bit of humility, you might actually see that there is intelligent design. So if wisdom begins from a knowledge of intelligent design, then an understanding of there being a creator and him being the one who dictates the way of abundance actually makes a lot more sense now. It all depends on your, on your presuppositions. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Maria got it right in The Sound of Music. You know the line, nothing comes from nothing. How's it go? Nothing, nothing ever will. Done. Atheism annihilated. <laughs> By a nun. <laughs> Listen to what James says. James chapter 3, verse 17. 
But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. All we need for holy living comes from the Creator. And so if you want to live a wise life, this is what you've got to do. Recognise Him. It's a simple... Let me put it in Bible terms. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In fact, the very previous chapter, it's a beautiful chapter, Proverbs 8. Uh, You can read it afterwards. And Proverbs 8 talks about how the world was created through wisdom. Magnificent chapter. Wisdom is nothing to do with mental IQ. It's to do with the recognition of who God is, who I am, and the way to godly living. And so there you go. Tomorrow, as you walk down, wherever you walk down in Hobart, you will every day walk past those two women. As you go into your office, those two women will be there. As you head off to university, those two women will continually be there. Who was the wisest man in the Old Testament? Solomon. What did he ask for? Wisdom. We'll keep reading the story. The wisest man in the Old Testament became the world's greatest fool. How did he do it? He married foreign wives and quite a few of them. He then started to construct shrines to his wife's pagan gods. It eventually led to his downfall and the division of the kingdom. Please don't think that because you have wisdom that you can sit back and relax. It's a daily battle. It's not just a battle for the 18-year-old moving from Campbelltown to Sydney. It's a battle for us as well because that woman is there with the red light. That woman is there with her wholesome feast, and she is calling us. And so basically, as we come to the end of our three talks, the, uh, the question I want to leave with you is the question you asked me to speak on this weekend is, whom do you fear? Uh, when you go to church to hang out with your friends, is that why you're going to church? Or we looked yesterday, are we going to church because of the fear of the Lord in order to worship. And as we have the opportunity in in large ways and in small to actually proclaim to our Lord that we are Christians, it might just be as simple as someone saying to you tomorrow, hey, what do you do on the weekend? Oh, there's different ways to answer that question, isn't there? Whom do you fear? Or if it's in terms of wise decision-making. As I was thinking about this and as I was preparing this, there's just one person just came to my mind in terms of changing the way that we think in terms of the fear of the Lord. And his name is Janani Luwim. Has anyone heard of Janani Luwim? The world needs to hear about Janani Luwim. He was born uh, last century and he became a Christian at the age of 25 on the 6th of January 1948. Uh, Looking around this room, some of you were alive then, 1948. Yep, a few nods. He decided when he became a Christian that he would do all it took 
to be a member of the Lord's army, is how he put it. And so he decided to train for the ministry. And in 1953, more people born now? Yep, a few more born. In 1953, he was ordained as an Anglican minister in the African country of Uganda. He served in several ways. And then in 1969, I was starting high school in 1969, this is not that long ago, he was ordained as the Anglican Bishop of North Uganda. That was also the time of the rise of the terrible dictator in Uganda, whose name was? Idi Amin. Amin, Who identified as a Muslim and had a particular hostility towards Christians. In 1971 is when Amin became the president of Uganda. In 1974, now I was finishing high school then, uh, Janani Luum uh, was consecrated as the Anglican Archbishop of the whole of Uganda. And when he became our Archbishop, in the time of Idi Amin, he said that his role, if you read his works, is to fear the Lord and not Amin. And so he spoke out against the regime. His wife said to him, you've got to stop speaking out and you've got to get out of the country, otherwise they're going to kill you. Now, he was an Anglican Archbishop. I imagine there's lots of places he could have gone for sanctuary around the world. But he said, no, my job is to fear the Lord. And so he stayed. On the 16th of February... 1977, he had been arrested by the Amin regime. And on the 16th of February, an announcement came over in Uganda that on the way to being interrogated, Luum had been in a car accident where he had collided with another car and was tragically killed. But when the body was, re- was released to the family, they found that it was riddled with bullets. There had been a bullet through his mouth and three bullets to his chest. And later on, the testimony of other people showed that he was taken to army barracks, he was bullied, he was beaten and he was shot. He could have fled. But he decided, no, my job is to fear the Lord regardless of the consequences. He laid down his life. Do you know the amazing thing out of Luam? This is why the story is so amazing. If you go to Westminster Abbey today, next time you go to England, go to Westminster Abbey, there is a section of Westminster Abbey that has statues of 20th century martyrs. And guess whose statue is there? Luam's statue is there. Here's another amazing fact. If you want to go to Uganda, the 16th of February in Uganda is a public holiday on the day he was martyred. And do you know what it celebrates? Religious freedom. Now that's an amazing thing. Why do I tell you that story? I don't know, I was just reading the other day about Israel Folau. I'm just reading about, and I know there's lots of interesting things that you can say about the Folau case and you can all have your opinions on it. But we're living in a day 
It may not be the day of Idi Amin, but we are living in a day of religious constriction. We are living in a day where we are not free to voice our religious views. We are living in a day that when I used to be a high school teacher ages ago and if I went to work on Monday and they said, what were you doing on the weekend? And I said, I went for a church camp. They would say to me, oh, that's nice. Where was it? But 30, 40 years later, if you go to work tomorrow and you work in a secular environment, if you work in a political environment, if you work in many environments and you stand up and just say, I went to a church camp on the weekend, the response will be very different. God has granted to us religious freedom. Whom do you fear is the question that is before us. There, there are two women who are beckoning us. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Parents, pray for your children that they would fear the Lord. Siblings, pray for your siblings that they would fear the Lord. Because in the fear of the Lord comes the beginning of wisdom that emanates in worship, that emanates in evangelism, and that emanates in correct Christian living. Let's pray. Our Father, we hear those voices all the time the screeching of Fräulein Folly, the invitation of woman wisdom. Our Father, we pray that you would take away our pride and grant to us humility. Help us to build our lives on the presupposition, the true presupposition, that this universe was created and is controlled and sustained. And our Father, we pray that though it may be costly at many points of the way, teach us, we pray, to fear you, that we might enjoy the feast of woman wisdom both now and for all of eternity. And Father, we stop now and we, we pray for those known to us, children, siblings, friends, parents, who are feasting in the home of Fräulein Folly where the end is Sheol. Our Father, would you be gracious? Would you humble them? Would you rescue them? That they would know life. And we pray that we would fear you and that should you so deign, that you would even use us in that process. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.